0: it can't go on. Hi, folks. I am Alan Watson. This is Cutting Through the Matrix on February the 15th, 2010. For the newcomers to the show, look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. Scroll down in front page, bookmark all the other sites I have up there for future use because once in a while I can't upload to the major sites for some strange reason and it can take up to two weeks to get them going again. So if you bookmark the other sites, you can always get the l- latest shows. And download them. You can also try these other sites because if you find there's stickiness as you're downloading, sometimes on the com site, it's because there's too many going into that one site at the same time, and the other ones are perfectly good. So try them once in a while. And the official sites, remember, are cuttingthroughtheMatrix.com, .net, .us, .ca. Alan Watt, cuttingthroughtheMatrix.ca, cuttingthrough.jenkness.com. And Alan Watt sentient, sentinel.eu. The sentinel site is European. It has all the same audios for downloads and you can choose uh, transcripts as well for download from the various languages of Europe. Just download them and print them up, pass them to your friends. For those who get the disc burned and passed to them, they don't have computers and they play them on CD players. You can get in touch with me at Alan Watt, W-A-T-T, site 41. Box 4, Esther, Ontario, Canada. Postal code is P for Peter, 3E e for Elizabeth, 4N for Nora, 1P, 3E, 4N, 1. And I always say this is the tin can moments to see how many pennies are in it. It's up to you to keep me going because I'm probably the only one out there who doesn't live on advertising income. Uh, generally you get paid by advertisers and I could do it certainly and I'd bring them on as guests or mention them once in a while and you get paid each time you do it but this this way um, I've got a freer hand the adver- the advertisements on this show that you hear are paid directly by the advertisers to RBN to pay for this airtime pays RBN for their broadcast and their satellites, their equipments their bills and their staff as well, so it's up to you to support me, keep me going at the same time and you can do so by getting the books I have for sale on the website cuttingsforthematrix.com. There's discs as well. Uh, you, you can get, um, you can pay from the States to Canada through personal check. You can use international postal money order from your post office. Just stress international. That's a sort of pinkish border one that you come away with, not the purely green one. as for internal use only. You can use Western Union, MoneyGram, uh, or Cash. Also, you can donate through PayPal, or if you want to order, just send a separate email with your order with the PayPal donation. Uh, they'll come in separately, too, so that's fine. Outside America's same idea. Cash is fine. Western Union, MoneyGram, or PayPal. It's up to you. But it's important to keep me going because uh, I'm probably the only one that's gone this long trying it this way. Uh, and it's not easy, it's not an, inc- an income by any means, and it certainly isn't the way that you support yourself, and it certainly is not a business either. Uh, but as I say, my hands are free that way. I can I can go into areas and talk about things that otherwise I could be restricted if I was backed by companies a- and so on. You know, we live in a, a world where we th- we see the scams today when they're exposed by people like myself and others who go through the latest scams and show you how they work. And I can also show you how famous people are created. It's no different than the creation of, out of thousands of, of, uh, say, musicians, you can pick one little group and make them the top. It's done by professionals, not by the group. And I'll talk about that when I come back from this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix, talking about what we're living through today and how people are risen to astronomical heights of importance and people truly believe they're geniuses and they give their all to them, but it's really the same technique that's used in the creation of a movie star or uh, to raise, one, say, one of thousands of singers to the top. Uh, you create a mystique, a persona, you give them incredible exposure. Uh, the more you, t- you, you tell the people out there that this person is the best things in sliced bread, they'll believe it just by repetition and the fact that you say it. And the more people who say it in the, in the, the right magazines and the right talk shows and TV, uh, the more they believe it. It, it's, it is that simple, honestly. But when you think about um, how they've risen up people in the past, for political agendas, it's no different than raising them up today to superstar status. And I was thinking of people like Al Gore. I mean, what credentials does Al Gore have? And yet he's basically the kingpin for the inconvenient spoof that's being taught all over the schools across the planet by mandates of government. What exactly is he? What does he have to his credit, you see? It's it's just the creation of a star image, as some kind of uh, ultra-specialist special specialist that gives him the godlike powers to to speak like God, and, it, and it's done. It, it, it is so. So mote it be, as they say, and it's suddenly done. And all the papers parrot him, all the media parrots him, and governments immediately put new laws into the school for education to make sure the children are brainwashed in a political agenda. Well, it's never been any difference when you go into the past down through history. And they give you famous players and raise them up to the top. Because the famous players that come out as top scientists, and they are built up by the media before they even appear to the public for the first time. They're built up into genius status by repetition and claims. And so if they appear, they're immediately treated like a god by the audience. That truly is how simple it is. And we go into the the Royal Society, for instance, in England, and the Masons admit this themselves in their own books and documentaries, it was a Masonic institution, it still is but its core was uh, to lead the world and guide the world by sciences what sciences should be available to the general population and to governments, in other words it came out of the old alchemist schools as they call them, where um, alchemists were graded they always have the ones who are into real chemistry at the top and exploration of science and then they have all the wannabes down below who are not in on the true acts who practice mixing I have toads and newts and, and making funny smoke and casting spells just like today you have all the new agers trying to do the same thing through communication of oneness stick with each other and all that stuff. And uh, tapping into the all, the universal consciousness and all that kind of stuff, they're, they're trying to do what the boys at the top are doing by plugging brains into computers. It's the same thing, you see. And the reality is that the high, the high echelons of the raw society have guided the world, really, on what was to be made available because one thing in the real alchemist ones, not the, not the, the, the phonies all down below, uh, but the real guys, was that it was a brotherhood and that they knew their secrets of chemistry and all the rest of it, their discoveries were powerful. They knew the weaponry they could create back then too and they knew that kings, queens and governments would come to them for the power that they could give to to their governments, you see. And that hasn't changed today either. Uh, We forget, it's not just uh, knowledge is power, it's particular kinds of knowledge are very, very powerful indeed. But they also decided it was time to go into their age of reason, and they gave us again the heroes for the age of reason, and prior to that as well. And they built them up into superstar status, the idea being uh, that they'd eradicate the old religions and bring in their own religion, basically, a, a form of secular humanism, but once again where the scientists now would get risen to the top as a new priesthood. Well, it's quite astonishing since this political agenda, not the scientific cover that it's got, this political agenda of global warming and has risen thousands of scientists up to superstar status with incredible salaries and grants, money thrown at them, and it's all a scam. So they certainly are benefiting from it. And luckily enough scientists have refused to join the IPCC, Uh, the phony group at the United Nations, or they have joined it and left when they found out that they were not using science at all. It was purely a political agenda, once again, to control the direction of the world according to the beliefs of this particular political group. But that's how it's done. As I say, Al Gore is a great example. Same in the past, you'll find that all the major players they give you especially from Britain, because Britain was set to lead the world, right? So you have to have make sure that all the main inventors are obviously British. And when you go into the reports of what they were discovering back in the 1500s, 1600s, from the Royal Society members, it was all coming from much older texts that they were copying directly from the Muslim countries. It's astonishing, we don't even realize that right up into to, to the beginnings of the 20th century, all medicine practiced in the Western world had been taken from medieval times uh, from Muslims. All medicine. And it was the same with all astronomy. All astronomy. There's a very good series that was on TV recently. It was about the written word and how language developed through writing. And it goes into the, the era where, where the Muslim nations uh, were so into sending people across the whole planet to gather all knowledge and very rich and wealthy leaders in those countries uh, literally spent years, uh, years and years and years building incredible libraries up with handwritten books by the people who went out to gather the information on every branch of what we'd today call science, all kinds of medicines, all kinds of theories, all religions, um, astronomy, as I say. Uh, real sciences too as well they were into dissecting the colors of the of the, the, the crystal the light, in other words, of the rainbow into its, its true colors, prisms, all that stuff that they were doing hundreds of years later with Isaac Newton and others but again, it's amazing how you can squash a country or a people that you put down uh, into a third world status often which is wrong again, because many of them are not at all especially people like uh, Iranians and you don't want to believe that they could have been way ahead. It doesn't look good when they're way ahead of the up-and-coming superpower. And they were way ahead hundreds of years ago. Pretty well all of the the philosophers uh, that we know today, all the writings, uh, were lost to the Western world. And all, they all came through the Muslim countries, as again, in the age of translations, as they called it, um, they... they, they went out and they got copies of all the ancient philosophers they kept them we got them back back in around the 10th century uh, from the muslims but as i say what's astonishing to me is the more you read uh, the more you realize uh, that even the top astronomers that came out in britain literally uh, took the, the the arabic writings and translated them right into their own and claimed it as their own basically Amazing. And the proof is there from the from the original writings of the Muslims. Astonishing. So they created superstars again to lead the world, saying we're the greatest, we are the people, we are the greatest. And that's how you build up a superpower, by saying, yeah, we rule the world, we run it, uh, we are the inventors of everything. You see? And now it's the U.S.'s turn. Same idea. And they give you people like Al Gore building a superstar. And what is this hack politician anyway? What is he other than that, you know? Really? And yet he's, he's a god. He's a literal god to children around the age of nine or eight years of age who stand in awe of this guy that was vice president. That's all you have to say, vice president. And they stand in awe as this guy prattles on about the green agenda and how they're going to live in the future and how they will cut back on the lifestyles that their their nasty, rotten parents had. Uh, Another myth as well, by the way. But uh, that's how the children are brainwashed. Everything is political today. Everything is political. And we've watched the rise of the superstars. Pachori, another one at the IPCC for the United Nations. What was he before he came into that position? Uh, here he is making all these political statements. That's what they are p- because they really want to decimate the planet so that the elite, the, the intelligentsia as they think of themselves will survive. That, that's simple as that. They also cannot stand the fact that you might be living a fairly comfortable life and eating well and using up what they call their resources. You know, on the Darwinian scale of things, you see, the inferiors must die off so that the superiors can go ahead and live. And here you are eating chomping away with your French fries. I mean that just cannot be done, you know. That's what they mean by unsustainable. As they jet across the world, polluting all over the place, that's okay. And I've read and read articles about that, about his private limo and all the rest of it. He can't even walk a mile to his work from his five million pound house. One of them. As he writes his porno novels to pass the time. But these are the characters they raise up as heroes. It's just incredible. And when they're doing it today and you're living through it and you see how it's done and you know it, and out there, the listeners to this show certainly do know it, it was exactly the same in the past. When they gave us the heroes and the top scientists and all the rest of it and the Darwins and long before them. Political reasons. I used to laugh when Benjamin Franklin, uh, at the time when he was a mason, and that's in his own diaries. He, he tells you when he was admitted to the different lodges and, and the English uh, right and so on and, and the York right and the blah, 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 all the other rites. And eventually he was a grandmaster of the Nine Sisters Lodge in Paris, and he uh, initiated Voltaire into them. That's also in his own letters and writings at the Franklin Institute, so read it for yourself. But he wanted to go down, like all masons at that time, because they thought for themselves as science, scientists, first men of reason, as an inventor and he made an awful stove that all leaked smoke they still sell them today or you find a few old ones but then they gave him well he says will make you Benjamin discoverer of the lightning conductor you go down in history as that even though the Romans had it 2000 years ago back with more after this break Hi, folks, this is Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, dispelling the myths of the past and present. And it's rather astonishing, as I say, how we create these giants in our minds, or the media does at least for us, and big money certainly does it because you need to spend a lot of money promoting someone up to the top and creating the myth. But we've been given real sciences eventually uh, from real scientists, but what I'm saying is when they create big important people who end up immediately discussing politics and seeing how the world should go, you know there's something else going on, and you'll always find that other scientists that generally did the real work were displaced and put to the bottom or suppressed, and often they simply were eliminated and that their work was taken by the political groups. That's another fact of history, and the same is true today. You'd be surprised how many, as I say, uh, uh, of, of the Freemasons especially, wanted to, to go down in history as scientists that brought something to the world. As I say with Franklin, he's the perfect example. Um, he wrote about it. He was practicing with electricity, with batteries. Everybody in those days was doing it at the top. And he also was given the, uh, the supposedly the, he was inventor of the lightning rod, you see. So they would give them something for a sign. But as I say, the ancient Roman temples had these things on top of them too, with these copper wires coming down into the temples. And you can read about them in the history books. Sometimes in some of the temples, the temple of Jupiter, they'd have the thing wired to the main gods. And if, it, if the lightning struck the temple, lightning rods the things sort of glowed and and sparked and it was quite the sight to see there's even a record where about five priests that were all touching the idol and touching each other were electrocuted and that was quite the sacrifice quite the show they enjoyed that but this is how they cycle recycle various sciences and give us stars who are risen to the top who then put us onto political agendas and nothing has changed Big bucks go into it. But as I say, with Al Gore and so on, the myth-making machine went to extraordinary lengths to, to create a, a, a nobody into a somebody and make him some sort of top scientist. It's amazing how people have this fugue state where the propaganda takes over and they start to see him as a real scientist and so on. And, and they forget this guy's a politician. That's pretty well all he is. And not a very good one at that either. But he's well connected, and he was mentored by Armand Hammer, who was a very interesting character, who uh, was able to not only be a multi-millionaire, uh, not only the very fact that his father renamed them Arm and Hammer, for the Arm and Hammer of the Soviet flag, the communist flag, which is also, by the way, the British Freemasons one. They don't have the comp the uh, they, they actually have the arm and the hammer inside the compass. But um, that's what he had. And he was, he had, he was a next-door neighbor. He was given an apartment next to, to Lenin and then Stalin and crossed all through the Cold War back and forth with impunity from anybody, no CIA, no whatever. Big politics behind the political agenda and the direction the world is not destined to go but planned to go by very, very, very rich people working in combination. Here's an article here about the latest scandal from the IPCC at the United Nations. And remember, everything at the United Nations, I don't care what department, they have a political agenda. You should read your history on it. And this one is from The Telegraph by Christopher Booker. It says, African crops yield another catastrophe for the IPCC. One more alarming claim in IPPC's 2007 report is disintegrating under closer examination, says Christopher Booker. That's the 13th of February, 2010. It says, even more questions mark, or question marks have been raised in recent weeks over the reputations of the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and of its chairman, Dr. Rajendra Pachauri. But the latest example to emerge is arguably the most bizarre and scandalous of all. It centres on a very specific scare story which was included in the IPC's 2007 report, although it was completely at odds with the scientific evidence, like everything else that they do, including uh, that produced by the British expert in charge of the relevant section of the report. Even more tellingly, however, this particular claim has repeatedly been championed by Dr. Pachori himself. Only last week, Pachori was specifically denying that the appearance of this claim in two IPCC reports, including one of which he was the editor, was an error. Yet it has now come to light that the IPCC, ignoring the evidence of its own experts, deliberately published the claim for propaganda purposes. That means political purposes, folks. And it says, one of the most widely quoted and most alarmist pages in this report was a warning that by 2020, global warming could reduce crop yields in some countries in Africa by 50%. But Shuri not allowed this claim to be included in the short synthesis report, of which he was co-editor, but has publicly repeated it many times since. The origin of this claim was a report written for a Canadian advocacy group, that's political uh, greeting group, by Ali Agumi. A Moroccan academic who listened to this, who draws part of his current income from advising on how to make application for carbon credits. He's an opportunist. you understand what an opportunist is? As his primary sources, he cited reports for three North African governments, but none of these remotely supported what he wrote. The nearest any got to providing evidence for his claim was one for the Moroccan government, which said that in serious drought years cereal yields might be reduced by fifty percent. The report from the Algerian government, on the other hand, predicted that on current projections, agricultural production will be more than doubled by two thousand twenty. <laughs> Yet it was Agumi's claim that the climate change could cut yields by fifty percent. That was headed by the IPCC's Working Group 2 report in 2007. Back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. This is Alan Watts, and we're cutting through the Matrix reading an article about the cons and the deception and the political agenda within the IPCC, where they're still prattling on about false reports and claiming that they're true, even though uh, it's been admitted elsewhere that they're they're packs of lies, basically. And he was on about um, this particular report from The Telegraph. It says here, uh, that uh, what made this even odder however was that the group's co-chairman was a British agricultural expert Dr Martin Parry whose consultancy group Martin Parry Associates have been paid or Parry Associates have been paid 75000 pounds by the Department for Environment Food and Rural Affairs which is called Defra for two reports which had come to, t- to totally different conclusions Specifically designed to inform the IPCC's 2007 report, these predicted that by 2020, any changes were likely to be insignificant. That was the report that Pachuri was handed. And yet he lied and went the opposite way with it. It So the worst case they could come up with was about 2080, climate change might decrease crop yields by up to 30%. That's like if if some oddball thing happened that wasn't predicted. British taxpayers poured out money for the section of IPCC report for which Dr Parry was responsible. DEFRA paid £2.5 million through the Met Office – plus £330,000 for Dr. Pallery's salary as a co-chairman and a further £75,000 to his consultancy for two more reports on the impact of global warming on world food supplies. Yet when it came to the impact on Africa, all this peer-reviewed work, including further expert reports by Britain's Dr. Mike Hume and Dutch and German teams, was ignored, was ignored in favour of a prediction from one Moroccan activist at odds with his own cited resources. In other words, a guy who lied through his teeth that I read at the beginning of this particular article. Fraud, 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 fraud. And I'm just wondering, you see, if the myth-making machine that created the IPCC and the UN, you see, these holy men at the top, these, these guys who literally are all out, they, they, they sacrifice their lives to help the world, you know. I wonder if that myth will overcome this data here. We'll find out, won't we? The Mail on Sunday had this about the same thing. The professor's amazing climate change retreats, uh, 13th of February. Untold, billions of pounds have been spent on turning the world green and also on financing the dubious trade for carbon credits. Countless gallons of aviation fuel have been consumed, carrying the experts and lobbyists and politicians to apocalyptic conferences on global warming. Every government on earth has changed its policy, hundreds of academic institutions, entire school curricula, and the priorities of broadcasters and newspapers all over the world have been altered. All to serve the new doctrine, doctrine, right? That man is overheating the planet and must undertake heroic and costly changes to save the world from drowning as the ice caps melt you might have thought that all this was based upon well-founded, highly competent research and that those involved had good reason for their blazing, hot-eyed certainty and their fierce intolerance of dissent. But thanks to the row over leaked emails from the Climatic Research Unit, we now learn that this body's director, Phil Jones, works in a disorganised fashion amid chaos and mess. Then he goes through uh, the different things about how his record-keeping is. It's just absolute mayhem. It doesn't need it because he makes things up as it goes, you see. It says, um, but here's what Jones, after all those leaked emails came out where he's telling people to destroy evidence of, of global cooling and all the rest of it. It says, even more strikingly, Jones, he also sounds much, much less ebullient about the basic theory of global warming, admitting that there is little difference between global warming rates in the 90s and in the two previous periods since 1860, and accepting that from 1995 to now there has been no statistically significant warming. Isn't that a complete turnaround? We've all to change our lies for these utter liars that have been caught out. He also leaves open the possibility, long resisted by climate change activists, that the medieval warm period from 800 to 1300 A.D., and thought by many experts to be warmer than the present period, could have encompassed the entire globe. Well, I'll tell you, isn't that an about-face, eh? This is an amazing retreat, since if it was both global and warmer, the Green Movement's argument that our current position is unprecedented would collapse, and it better collapse. Because if you understand the hell they have planned for you, this political agenda, you'd make sure it collapsed right now, and you'd make sure that all this indoctrination at school was thrown out the window as well, and you'd make sure that all these green journalists—and this is true—there's a whole section now. It's a new category of journalism. Every newspaper has a green journalist. That's his, he's a political journalist. This is his act of it. this is how he, he's activated to promote the propaganda. They're going to get thrown out. You cannot have people who are biased in media putting out these reports as if they were absolutely true and factual. These, these gospels that they have, these new gospels, when they have a political agenda. You cannot have truth. It doesn't happen when you have a political agenda. Amazing, and as I say that, so there's a mail online. I'll put that that these links up on my site at the end of the show, cuttingthroughmatrix.com. If Explornet graces me with enough speed to put it up there, even though I'm been paying for high speed and they do take the money, and I'll put up the the mail online two from the mail online and the one as well from the Telegraph. I'll put these up uh, for your perusal. It's it's so interesting too how everything is politics, everything is politics, and we don't really get it, we don't understand uh, really what's, what's going on with us. As we get taxed to death and, and put under, but I'm looking for a particular article here, and it's from The Economist. Very interesting article. Because see, this guy, this is in the green dot view column. This is the journalist whose job it is, is to push his religion here. Under, under the pretense, he's a journalist. And it's from the 8th of February, 2010. He goes about, there was a time when conservation meant keeping people away from nature, America's system of national parks. A model for similar setups around the world was based on the idea of limiting human presence to passing visits rather than permanent habitation. In recent years, this way of doing things has come under suspicion. Defense of large areas of parkland is often impractical, can also be immoral. Well, here's what it goes through here now. How conservation areas are now created, it's through perpetual war. War is good, he says, really. We need perpetual war because in between the strips like North Korea, South Korea, places like that, uh, nature thrives, these no-go zones. And it also kills off the human population in these wars. And it helps the, it helps nature and the animals and the birdies and stuff like that, you see. So this this pretended uh, uh, journalist is actually, as I say, a, a fanatic with a cause, getting paid as a journalist for, for his green page, Is promoting perpetual war for human depopulation and to allow the animals and and the fungi and uh, the ferns and so on to grow. You know. Quite something. Yeah, you see the different instances in the world today where this is happening and they're thriving because of conflict and war. Quite something. So his last paragraph says, military conflict and the preparations that surround it are not in themselves good for the environment. Far from it. Animals big enough to be eaten or with body parts that can be sold for a profit are well advised to stay out of war zones. It is depopulation that matters. He's talking about people here, by the way. Armed conflict and its knockout effects simply happen to be one of the few forces on the planet that can cause quick and thorough depopulation. Wars, get wars gone. These areas struggle to survive when peace arrives. You're talking about the animals now. The nasty truth is that the likelihood of random and violent death is the cheapest form of conservation yet invented. As time we got all these, as I say, these so-called green journalists out in the trash heap. Because you can t- they mean it. These are the worst fanatics. And you can imagine if they get ahead with this green agenda. If you think the Soviet system or the Nazi system was bad, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet. Politics, politics, everything's politics. The BBC, and this is not new to me because I've, I've I've known how the scriptwriters, especially in Canada, is so openly propagandist. It's, they copied stuff right from the Soviet system. And you can't watch any entertainment without uh, getting your consciousness raised in certain areas. You understand about this and sensitivity, blah, 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 blah. It's so bad in Canada. But it's always been that way. The BBC is a bit more subtle, at least it used to be, but they've got pretty coarse about it now. The US do the better ones. They have, they give you movies you get involved in and you lose yourself and then you get brainwashed really good at the end. But the BBC says here, uh 15th of February, BBC scriptwriters tried to use the Doctor Who series to bring down Macri- Margaret Thatcher. It says she battled Argentine army abroad and the unions at home, but Margaret Thatcher never knew she was also under attack from outer space. Left-wing scriptwriters hired by the BBC during the 1980s tried to inspire a TARDIS revolution by using Doctor Who as propaganda to undermine the Tory Prime Minister. In one serial, they caricatured her as a vicious and egotistical alien ruler who banned outward displays of of unhappiness amongst her downtrodden people and used a secret police to oppress dissidents. Former actors and writers on the show admitted yesterday that there was also thinly veiled support for the miners' strike and the campaign for nuclear disarmament. Revelations appear to confirm claims that in the 1980s BBC opposed Mrs Thatcher's government with the then Tory chairman, Norman Tebbit, claiming it was in the hands of a Marxist mafia. Well, he was absolutely true on that. It was. But, you know, it's amazing to me, you see, that the, the BBC, which is run by the government and funded by the taxpayers through the government, is owned by the government, the CBC in Canada and the other British Commonwealth countries, that all have their versions, same base owned by the government, are all staffed by Marxists. There's nothing new in that. One of the communists who defected from the Soviet Union, a KGB guy, went to work with the CBC, and he said he met more communists, true communists in the CBC, working there than he ever did in the Soviet Union. Back to this article, Sylvester McCoy, the actor who played the Doctor from 87 to 89, said, Our feeling was that Margaret Thatcher was far more terrifying than any monster the Doctor had encountered. This is nothing new, though, because i got articles here where the, the writers who put together um, uh, a lot of stuff for Walt Disney uh, slipped so much in it, uh, in the songs too, that actually had Marxist meanings. And they were meant to hit people subliminally as well. And they admit about the time they took to get just the right word for a particular line. It might take them weeks to decide on the proper word for impacts. That's quite something. But, uh, yeah, you cannot get entertainment today where there's no propaganda. That Avatar movie is something else. Because it's training the children to plug in. The whole idea is you plug into the net and get lost in this new Peter Pan Disneyland. Where everything's wonderful. uh, You're all one with the planet. The the plants are connected with you. And you use this sort of tail you've got to, to, to hook yourself into them. Well, it's like plugging in. Same with the Matrix movie, isn't it? Everything is propaganda. But everything was one. And Mother Nature ruled. Mother Nature Ruled, keeping the balance, you know the Kabbalistic balance of everything. A, a, a fairyland, absolute fairyland of fantasy. And you know something? The worse they make it in this world to survive, with all the things that are coming down, the more youngsters will want to escape into this fake reality. Not just youngsters, by the way. Apparently adults are hoot with the virtual reality world as well, some of them. But everything in that movie, everything was the new agey conservation propaganda uh, to a T. Quite something. Now, the world, the, the world they're bringing in and they discussed this an awful, awful long time ago. Uh, even before they they, they, they call themselves the Royal Institute for International Affairs and go back further, Milner Group, this is the Rhodes Society, and again you had the Royal Society there too with its umbrella organisations going back for hundreds of years. Uh, as I say, they planned the sort of future world that they, they envisaged should come in and they could make it happen, these very powerful and rich people. Eventually, they wanted a world where everyone in that world would be run in a, an, like a beehive in a perfect, what they call a perfect social order. Uh, this was articulated by H.G. Wells, the heads of the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It's been said again recently at some of their meetings that they're bringing in a world of service where you'll all be born, if they need you to be born, by the way, to serve them, but a the world of service to the world society. To the state the world state if you don't like that you're anti-social the same technique they used in uh, China uh, you cannot have individuality and free choice in these totalitarian systems and the greatest thing is they can camouflage it so well that people actually they, can't, they don't even see it for a totalitarian system isn't that incredible the psychology they can use uh, but this article here uh, is about how they're going to tax you into the literally a pre death tax now. Britain, Canada, and Commonwealth countries are the most highest taxed countries on the planet. With in Canada, it's a general sales tax and various other hidden taxes galore and everything that you purchase. In all the European countries, it's a value-added tax that started off only supposedly for things you don't need, like binoculars, and, and eventually it spread onto everything. Well, that's going up, by the way, to 20% now on every purchase. You can attack on 20% on every purchase. This article here is about another tax they're going to hit you with, you see. Well, one day you might need health care as you're dying, so we're going to make you pay £20,000 in advance uh, for that care how's that how's that thursday 11th of uh, february bbc it says by nick uh, triggle precious growing on the government to clarify its position over the so-called death tax after social care chiefs and charities backed the levy the tax levy what do charities have to do with this well this is their living by the way then they call themselves a charity Ministers in England are considering introducing a compulsory fee, possibly up to £20,000, to pay for social care. Do they already pay for social care? That's what the national health system was created for. It's, t- it's been funded to the hilt. But you're supposed to forget that, of course. The government said me an announcement soon. John Jackson from ADAS, A-D-A-S-S, it should be called S.A.D. Sadas, which represents social service chiefs working for councils, said extreme funding was much needed. <laughs> but but they're not going to make it a voluntary scheme either. It's going to be compulsory. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, this is Alan Watt and we're cutting through the Matrix. This article here, as I say, that I'm reading is about, from the BBC, is about a, a new tax they want to bring in, basically, where you're going to pay in advance for care you might get when you're dying, even though the National Health Service is robbing the people blind uh, to, to provide all these cares already. The problem is, and they don't mention it here, is, you see, with the government expanding its wars along with the US across the world and buying all these drones, too, from the US, uh, they've got to take the money from the needy to get you know, all the weaponry and stuff. It's a lot of dough that, you know, for these big bangs they put up there to get the latest gizmos, and they've got to cut back from the usual places. So they're just going to keep taxing the people for more and more and more and give them less service. But now they want to... These people who are, have lost their homes, you know, probably millions, there wasn't millions, because of the last crash and the same corners we're using in the U.S. with all the these uh, pyramid schemes for mortgages, and taxed the, gun- the gunnels, uh, lack of jobs, overrun with... with which The immigrants are complaining that there's too many immigrants. They can't get work. There's too many immigrants. Uh, but it's, it's getting flooded, and that's Labour's policy to eradicate what, what was the British culture. That's what the article I read from Tony Blair and his best buddy said in the paper last week, so I, I've said, quoted it a few times. It's on the website from the mainstream. But uh, here they are hitting them with another one, 20,000 pounds, in case you one day have to get treatment as you're dying, even though you're already paying for it your whole life long with your taxes into the National Health Service. Quite something, eh? Quite something. And from the CBC Canada, I love the new normals. I call them new normals when when everything is one way. Like one in uh, sort of uh, 150,000 children might show the signs of autism. That's how it was right up until the 60s. And then bang, it started going up like a rocket until it's like one in four has got autism. And that's the new normal now. And we're not supposed to equate the inoculations and stuff with it, of course. That's, that's just not allowed, even though they darn well know it. But the CBC uh, has an article here on the new asthma. Remember, if, uh, two years ago, I think I read it on the air here, it's in my archive section, uh, how now uh, allergies had gone up 60-odd percent, 65% percent in the last five years. A new normal. I mean, no money put into finding out. Why? Because they know what causes it. It's in your food too, by the way. That's what causes it. That they changed with GMO. (laughs) They're well aware of what causes it. But January, this is February the 15th from the CBC, one in three chance of developing asthma, a study finds. One in three people can expect to be diagnosed with asthma in their lifetime, Ontario Research suggests. I like how they suggest things Asthma is more likely to develop in childhood But can also occur in adults Which is a brand new thing With a 33% risk over a lifetime Ontario research suggests Asthma is more likely to develop in childhood let again twice It says the, followed, the medical histories of more than 9 million Ontarians For 16 years Between April 91 and March 2007 A study of the data found The lifetime risk of developing asthma Was 33.9% then to, it's a disease and so on and so on and so on. But anyway, what I'm telling you here is this is a new normal. And they're spraying the bechesas out of us every day in the sky. Have been steadily, steadily since 1998. Before that, was occasionally as they were testing stuff. Steadily, though, from 1998, big spraying in Ontario because there's a jet stream comes up here, they, they, they spray at one end, Michigan, the spray where I am up here, Sudbury, and it's carried all the way down into New York State. Big coverage area. That's why we've got the asthma now, by the way. And they know this too. From Hamish, myself, and your Canada, it's good nights. And your God, or your gods, go with you.